So you got a big day today, huh, Russ? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a pretty big one. What do you got going on? Annual evaluation as a teacher. It's one of our favorite days of the year. Yeah, so like normal people don't understand what that is. Like, so the kids don't go to school today, right? No, they do. Oh. So oh, so you, this is when ah. someone sits in the class and watches you. Oh, yeah. Well, see, there, there are a few things that you go through when you're a teacher. If you're a new teacher, you have to do typically two of these a year. They're formal. Somebody sits in for the entire period. They write this whole report up. You meet with them ahead of time to talk about what your lesson's going to be, what to look for in a class. They watch the whole thing. You have a post-observation conference. So that's typically what you go through as a new teacher. And eventually, after you take enough graduate classes, you you get your uh, certification upgraded. And when you get upgraded, you only have to get observed once a year. Can they heckle you? Um, I don't know. I guess they could. My fun thing is, my favorite part Treat of it... Treat it like Duke? Uh... Yeah. yeah. My favorite part is actually to throw them off by Ooh, getting them risky. by getting them uh, in, involved in the lesson, and they have these other things called walkthroughs where somebody can come through for like ten minutes at a time and watch your class, and they write up like a, a little report, and then you kind of go back and forth about like what they saw, uh, and that's usually when when they walk in, I I usually have the entire class greet them, we get up, we do something ridiculous, and then we try to get them involved. Is there like if you're a teacher and you kind of stink, I don't think you stink. I think you're good. I'm amazing. But if, but if you kind of stink, and is there a way that you could like cram for an evaluation? Like, yeah, you, you could. Or it, do you think the class would notice? Like, all of a sudden, like teacher Adam is trying hard today. Yeah. So I remember when I was in high school. So this isn't talking about where I work now, but when I was in high school, I had this one guy who pretty much tried to sneak wearing jeans every day and then uh, whenever it was his evaluation day he would warn the entire class ahead of time and then he would come in wearing a full suit and yeah and so it was like I I don't know like if he thought that everybody was dumb but like we had we had an older principal at the time and uh, Mr. Opalenik I think and he uh he, I remember he came in the one day and he like remarked to the guy, wow, you really clean up well or something like that. And I got such a kick out of it. But like, yeah, some people like uh, there, there is a school of thought that says that you shouldn't announce these things. Or we, we in the past have done that. We don't have the pre-conference of post or the pre-conference because, you know, some people could prepare a canned lesson that has nothing right. to do with what they're doing. So it sounds like you were expecting one thing and it became another thing. Kind of like, you know, the Flyers goals last night. Uh, yeah. We thought they were goals, and we found out they weren't goals. That was the dumbest thing. All right, so what happened? Explain it to me. So first period, Flyers go down 3 nothing. Ugh. At that point... And this it was is like, great. This is like me live watching the game right now, you retelling me what happened. So it was like... Seven... I had to host an event last night. It wasn't my fault. Oh, really? Yeah. Ooh. I was an MC for these two authors up in New York. And they said, we need... They, like, contacted a union, and they said, we need... The most divorcee voice you can find. No, and it's funny say, as my voice last night was pristine. Russ. Was it? Wow. Yeah, I have great night voice. I don't have. I know. Good I was. 6 a.m. Voice. I was. Uh, I was watching your uh, your rant on a uh, Simpson Lefko drink. There you go. And uh, you sound you sound so different. Um. Wait. So but okay. Flyers go down, down three. They nothing. go down three. Nothing. Who are they playing? They're playing in Ottawa against uh, the fuck Senators. Fuck those guys. Yeah. I know. So they've got like six minutes left in the period, and they give up this third goal. At that point, I look at my wife. We both, uh, we both. And you agree. say Ilios Pizza, and you pop <laughs> no. one in, and then what happened? What are we getting a sponsorship from Ilios? And uh, so anyway, 
we're like, no, we're going to watch something on the DVR. Like, they're not worth our time right now. So we turn it off. Uh, Flyers go on to score two unanswered goals. Uh, Voracek Ooh. scores one. And then a few minutes, it was like less than a minute later of, of real game time. Konechny scores on this uh, on a nice breakaway. Hold on, Ottawa right. quick, quick, inter- quick intermission. Quick intermission. Kyle will be joining us in a few minutes. Uh, he has a lot, he has some interesting fault stuff to get to. We're going to talk about the Sixers blowing the Houston game, and we're going to do an Eagles preview. But in the meantime, back to Flyers hockey. All right, that's beautiful. So they go to the third period. It's four three, or I'm sorry, four two. Ottawa scores again, five oh. two. Man, and then killer. and then we start getting into where everything just goes sideways really quick. Uh, Flyers score, uh, Couturier scores, and then we get so into two five goals, three. five four at this point. Whoa, so, doubles! So they end up getting into a position where one goal is called back, and the second goal, inexplicably, the uh, the ref blows the whistle. He loses sight of the puck. I guess he thought that the goalie had stopped it before the line, but the replay shows that the puck crossed the line, went into the goalie's glove, and the goalie's glove has has this massive amount of netting that you can see right into, and you can see clear as day that the puck came over the line. So it should have been a tie game, 5-5, even after they had already disallowed one of the other goals. should have been a 5-5 game. And Hackstall loses his mind because the ref says, well, it was the intent to blow the whistle. The ref had already decided that the play had ended. Wow. And so then the NHL releases uh, this, uh, I guess, a little bit more detailed ruling, and they mention the fact that the referee has the right to have the intent to blow the whistle. He didn't need to have the whistle blown at that point. He just needs to intend on blowing the whistle. And so if he thought the play was dead three seconds before he blew the whistle, then it's at his discretion that he can say, no, I was going to blow the whistle. And that's, oh. what, that's what they ultimately ruled. So, you know, I guess every call... And every goal could be called off at this point if a ref just intends on, you know, blowing every play dead. So that was a mess. The Flyers look like crap for the first period. There's no getting around it. Um, but they really did get jobbed in the end, so it is a shame. Uh, Man. It, it, it sucked. Damn. I just relived that. That sucked. But it, Fuck it, those guys. It kind of, you know, a little bit, once again, we called into question maybe a little bit of the, uh, the game management decisions of Dave Hackstall. Speaking of managers who may or may not have made bad in-game decisions, I saw your boy in New York, Joe Girardi, lost his job, and the Phillies are looking for a manager. Yeah, so can you uh, fill so, people in on on what Yankee fans are? So thinking I was about sitting Joe with Girardi. Sims yesterday. We were talking about Girardi because Sims is an enormous Yankees fan. The Yankees are the only team that he actually roots for in any of the sports. Wow, um, and. I was like, yo, what do you think about Girardi? He's like, I don't get it. And then Gabe, our camera operator, is like, I don't get it either. And it just sounds, Yankees fans liked him. The 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 team, it seems like, liked him. Um, I know that there's gonna, there's always a strong contingent of people that don't like anybody from, like, the Yankees. It's just a thing. But he's not a Charlie Manuel. He's not a... He's not an intense, you know, like analyzer. He's just, he's just Joe. And um, it's the thing with the Phillies, man, when it comes to managers and it's just kind of figuring out what it is you want in that locker room. 
And Joe's done it a certain way, and it's a lot of player accountability, and it's a lot of kind of like independence. Um, but I, I don't think it's bad bringing in someone that really knows the Yankee way. Um, I just interviewed this guy. His name's Rich Cohen. Uh, he's my favorite author, and he's written a lot of books. One about the Bears, the '85 Bears. He broke up. He wrote a book about the Cubs breaking the curse, and he was talking the story about Joe Torre. And Joe Torre knows Chicago and obviously knows the Yankees. And they were having a conversation, and Torre said, the the photos are just different in the Yankees organization that are on the walls. And Rich goes, what do you mean? Like, the Cubs have photos on their walls too. And Torre goes, yeah, but if you look at the photos in New York, it's all pictures of the team winning championships. That every photo... Are, is different teams or different groups of players winning a championship. The photos in Chicago are individual players accomplishing goals and feats. Huh. You know, like Ernie Banks doing something or someone breaking a record. And from that, you can see the culture. And I think that the Phillies, my personal belief is that Reese Hoskins is something very, very special. It's not a flash in the pan. Uh, watching him last year, or the end of last year, and then watching the team line the dugout and the energy that he created. Now, all, all of a sudden, how all these other really young players started stepping up and a nucleus formed. I would not be against someone that was a part of a Yankees organization coming in and creating some culture similar to that. Um, I don't think the Phillies, the Phillies, what they had at the end of the 2010s was insanely special, but it wasn't able to last. And that was the absence of culture. And I'd like to create it again. I don't know if Joe's the guy. My only thought is that, you know what? I don't have anything wrong with someone bringing something in to possibly create it again. I'm all in for the guy. I mean, like, I know that a couple days ago, Nick Williams and Reese Hoskins and J.P. Crawford all came out with with glowing endorsements of Dusty Wathan, the uh, former uh, Reading manager turned Lehigh Valley manager. Uh, Crawford even went as far as to say that he was the best manager he's ever had in his career. But Girardi, I think, is just a, a totally different animal. Like, they, they were talking about the yeah, fact that... Yeah, like, the, no offense to the AAA guy. And he that, could be that's really, like being like, we should be make our substitute teacher, our regular teacher, because they give out worksheets and they're so fun. Like, not, like, I know that players want a certain guy, but sometimes you need a guy to show players things that they don't even know yet. Yeah, so like, I, I think it was yesterday, the report before Girardi got, got fired was that uh, the Phillies were down to Dusty Wathan, the AAA manager, and Gabe Kapler, who's the director of player development for the Dodgers. Uh, either way, you're getting somebody who either the players are comfortable with, who they said is a players manager in Wathan, or you're getting somebody who, you know, ostensibly, you know, helped to build the Dodgers into a, you know, World Series finalist. Um, that that's step one, get Clayton be... Kershaw. Step yeah. two, get Zach Greinke. Oh yeah. man, I'm amazing. Um, but man, the second Girardi got fired, it was just kind of like uh, we were we were in the lunchroom. And we were, I thought we were Farrell's being mentioned too. Farrell had been as like a late contending candidate, but I don't, I don't uh, think that he's, I don't think he's there. Okay. Um, what about Andy Reid? Does he coach baseball? 
You know, I heard that Andy would do a really, really great job during the regular season and for the first, like, seven innings. But then somewhere in the eighth inning, he starts to kind of just, uh, you know. Mismanage the clock. Yeah, he, he does, and he mismanages his bullpen. It's very sad. So that's that. That was great. Um, okay, so did you watch the Sixers-Houston game? I did. It right. was that was devastating in so many ways. It was so interesting to watch Sixers Twitter and see where we've grown to and how it's changed. Where two years ago, that kind of a game, almost beating Houston, is seen as like this ultimate learning lesson. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time where I think I've really witnessed people getting upset or questioning things. Uh, I don't know if you also listened to talk radio afterwards or kind of got the vibe there. I did. But, but what is the vi- what was the vibe right afterwards? So I listened to it first after the Boston game. The Boston game was when people started imploding. Um, the Houston game was just ridiculous. Like phone calls about th- – this is the thing. I think this is where we get into the casual fans have now begun to integrate themselves or, or try to reassimilate into – the process group, and they don't understand what they're watching. So people were saying Jaleel Okafor should be playing with Joel Embiid. And I hate to point out to those people who may or may not have watched for the last few years, but we tried that before and it didn't work. I mean, it was it was a, a disgusting display of, of basketball. Uh, it was something that Brett Brown, if you remember last year, he tried it for, I, I don't remember how much, it was. I think it was like 300 minutes or something worth of time they played together. Versus Joel and Nerlens Noel only played seven total minutes together, which could have worked defensively. Would have you know would have been legit. And actually, now if we look back on it, Nerlens Noel did not get the max extension that he had hoped for. He only got a one-year deal, and Colangelo essentially traded him, fearing that they would have to make, you know match a, a max offer or they'd get nothing for him. Well, now here we are, Nerlens Noel's playing on a one-year deal for, for peanuts, and the one thing that you are missing as a team is a defensive backup center. Yeah. Um, so that, that trade, I think, actually looms large over the organization right well, now, the and, it looks, is, and it looks we, bad. We but. all misread that. All of us thought Nerlens was getting a big, big contract. Yeah. The, I mean, way the, the way the NBA exists right now, I mean, think about the guys that have big contracts. We just assumed that everybody gets one, that it's like a rite of passage. And then for Nerlens not to get one, that's the that's the dangerous thing being traded midseason is a possible suitor doesn't have to go on the market. They can actually see you for three, four months, your work ethic, your ability, all that stuff. But um, so so the fans, they went, they were going nuts. Huh? Fans were going nuts. And it's just like, I, I get being upset about it. Like, it makes sense. I understand. But don't call up and, and offer player combinations that we've seen fail in the past. Um, I think that there has been a a legitimate beginning of a a turn on Brett Brown, which I think sucks. But, like, there there are things that I questioned in that game that I just straight up did not understand. I don't understand why when TJ McConnell is probably your best defensive guard, why he's not on the floor at the end of a game. I don't understand why Joel Embiid didn't touch the ball. I think it was the last five possessions. And why he's setting up in the corner. You know, we had this conversation after the Boston game that Joel had said that the, the team didn't get him the ball in the post. Well, then they go and they play 
uh, what was it? The it wasn't the Toronto game. It was the one after where he goes. Uh, the Detroit game where he goes down in the post. He absolutely obliterates and emasculates Andre Drummond, and it works great. But at the end of this game, they uh, they don't get him the ball in the uh, in the post. But he's also lining up in the corner, and so they I think they go last three minutes fifty four seconds without a field goal. You can't do that. I think they were up nine with two and a half minutes to play. You can't blow that game. So the the question about the lineup that Brett ran out, especially having Bayless, who cannot play defense to save his life, over TJ, when you're trying to preserve a nine-point lead, like that part was where I cannot defend Brett. I think that was just a poorly chosen lineup, and I think it's something that could come back and absolutely kill them at some point. Like that, that cannot happen. Uh, in the Slack chat, you know, we've got Phil who writes for the website, who I don't know if he's just trying to troll everybody, but he really does not like Embiid. He doesn't like that Embiid posts on social media. It was a point that I think uh, Skip Bayless or somebody made. Yeah, that's that, a bad point. That, you know, Embiid should not really attack anybody until he can stay healthy or he can have a killer instinct at the end of a game. My point was he dropped 30 in Detroit in 28 minutes. Like, let's not act like this guy can't do it. I don't know why he's not getting the ball at the end of a game. That, I think, he could have put the cap on it. You have an open three on the wing where J.J. Redick probably makes it 9 out of 10 times and he missed. But again, Jared Bayless should not be in the game defensively. And my God, we've watched, I think, two or three, or two out of the last three games, or two out of the last four, Jared Bayless has had the ball in his hand in a final possession or a final, you know, two possessions, and he's turned it over or has not been able to get a shot up. They had a shot clock violation that led to Eric Gordon's game-winning three. There are certain things that you cannot do as a professional team, and you can make the case that they're a young team, and it's true, but when you have legitimate veterans like Amir Johnson and like Jared Bayless and J.J. Redick, they've got to have those young guys in the correct position to be successful and to not blow a nine-point lead. If you're on a journey and you look up to find your North Star and you realize that you are aligned with a Skip Bayless take, then that is the sign that you have the wrong take. Uh, so that's what I'll say about that. Joel Embiid, keep doing what he's doing. He, he'll be fine. Um, in terms of the, the wagon, this is the thing that's funny about the bandwagon, is when the fans come on, the first thing that people always ask, the, the fans that have been there all along, is what will you do? Will you celebrate with them? Everyone thinks about the positivity. You know, would you want to share this happiness if the Sixers end up, let's say, making a run? Would you want to share happiness with people that weren't there from the beginning? But the real issue about a bandwagon is are you going to be able to talk about the downtimes with people that haven't been there? during the old downtimes. So the Sixers, it's they're not getting these wins right now. Whether they're having the blowout games when Embiid's not playing or the close games, it's just not coming through Boston, Houston. And like you're saying, this was an, uh, a storyline that was discovered two years ago, a year and a half ago, that Okafor and Embiid don't mix. And the response, yeah, but it just should, is not real. Yep. We have we have a sample size that proves that it's not a thing. 
But that's the dangerous thing about a bandwagon is that you have a lot of people that want to backseat drive the wagon. And if you think backseat driving a car is bad, wait till you see a wagon. It doesn't shift quickly. Every turn is deliberately made miles in advance. And that's what's really interesting right now is you're going to have a lot of people going, well, Brett Brown should be fired. Oh, Brett Brown should do this, or they should do this, or they should try out this combination. Guys, we've already done this. Yeah, it's super, super interesting to me, though, to watch, like, I'm going to call it, uh, my girlfriend does a lot of stuff with population health. I'm going to talk about this as, like, population fandom, where you're looking at, like, thousands of people that are all, like, making decisions when it comes to their favorite team. That's why I imagine, Russ, as, as someone that has, you look at Eagles fans a lot differently than you look at Flyers fans, because the population, the wagon is so much bigger. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think each fan base is their own beautiful monster in its own way. You can't... It, it, the nuances that exist in, within each fan base alone are, are enough to know that you just should not compare, you know, fan bases, you know, against each other. So, like, Flyers fans have their... The Sixers fan base is going through, like, such an insane flux. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about that. Uh, it, it's just strange. And I don't mind, I've said before, like, I don't mind having the casual fans come back. I don't mind the people who didn't like Hinky, who didn't like the process coming back. But now having to, like, yell over them when they are proposing ideas that have just been proven to be inaccurate and running out have lineups you, that, that are just inefficient. Have you listened to any of sense. the Spike, like the podcasts yeah. uh, on the radio? The Like the, the Ricky on WIP? Yeah, are they doing it live? Are yeah. you listening to their, have I you listened, checked out their counter program? I listened once. I listened to the counter-programming once. I'm not in the car when the games are going on. I'm doing bedtime right. with the kids. But, like, um, yeah, I mean, like, it, it is what it is. Like, it's exactly, I think, what we kind of anticipated it being. Like, the counter-programming is essentially them doing their own pregame show. And then the stuff during the game is essentially, like, a night show that they, you know, will cut to if something interesting happens in the Sixers game. Like, you can call in and react. Like, I, I think that that kind of stuff makes sense. The interesting thing has been, like, watching Spike on Twitter has almost, like, he's gone full, full Ricky at this point, where, like, they lose the Houston game, and I think he had tweeted something like, you know, welcome, this is how the last four years have felt, or, like, if you thought, or it might have been him or Mike that said something along the lines of, if you, if you were really a Sixers fan these last few years, you knew they were going to blow that, and it's, it's almost like they become a caricature of themselves, in a, in a sense, like, they... They are so far down the rabbit hole, one direction, where they I, I almost wonder if they wanted to ever leave that rabbit hole, if they even could. Mm. I mean, I enjoy listening to them. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I really do enjoy their show. Uh, but you like, like, it, you like You like pain? I do. I, I, I enjoy knowing that somebody else is suffering as much or more than I am when I'm watching these teams. What's the rust take on the Markel Fultz? And what's going on? There's one thing that's alarming to me about Fultz, and it and it's really simple. Fultz has only liked or retweeted. I think it was a the only one that's left that I saw on his Twitter account was he liked a Rachel Nichols retweet about I think it was the original Woj report about him having his shoulder drained. And so I I have two questions about it that I I know I'll never get answered. One was he only retweeting it because it's, it was Rachel Nichols, and it said that, you know, finally we have, 
some information and he didn't read the article or he didn't read the uh, the Woj headline, which I would think is impossible because anybody is going to blow up your phone as soon as something about you breaks with Woj. Or, like, did this have anything to do with the fact that, like, is the team still not telling us the truth? Because you would think that if that had been the case, that he would have retweeted or he would have liked the article about the cortisone shot. But the only one that's still on his account is the one about his shoulder being drained. Now, look, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist here. I'm not trying to say that I think, you know, the organization has been intentionally deceptive. And now all of a sudden, you know, Fultz is essentially going rogue himself. Like, I don't think it's that. I also wonder if he runs his own Twitter account. Like, there, there are a few questions I have about it, but I don't think it's a good look if you uh, go into somebody's likes and the only thing that you see is, is like, somebody, you know, writing about an infactual or what the team has declared an infactual report. It's just, it's so weird. I don't, I, there's something fishy about the whole thing, Russ. I don't believe it. I just, I, I, there's something that I don't know how he got hurt. I don't know what happened this summer. Um, well, the, I, I just don't know. There is an idea. There's a there's a, a conspiracy theory. Well, this conspiracy theory is I forget the guy's name. It's not the trainer who came out and said that um, that like Brett Brown has essentially lied. He went on the radio and said that uh, the report that the Sixers were trying to circulate was simply not true about Fultz having changed his mechanics, like deciding to change his mechanics in the off season. And that that's what led to the inflammation. Like that guy went on the radio, he went on WIP and he, he essentially called the the Sixers organization liars. So that happened. But I think it was one of the Sixers team trainers had posted in October. And I think at the end of August or September, there were two pictures of Fultz doing weight training. One, he had a barbell over his head. And people who had commented on it said that looks like terrible form. Like that looks like how you could hurt your your shoulder. And the other one was he had like I guess a medicine ball or whatever, and it's over his head, and the uh, trainer's up on a box behind him, like helping support it. But I think people were more upset about the barbell picture because they said that the form looked bad, and it that could have been the thing. Like imagine if imagine how bad the look would be not only for for people who already don't like the Sixers medical staff, but to then find out that the training staff in doing weight training with Markel you know, ultimately did the thing that led to him getting injured. Now the the bigger issue that I think they've run into is, I said this a while ago, the national people are, have started to run with the narrative that, you know, well, maybe the, the entire reason that Fultz wasn't, wasn't sitting to start is because the Sixers were afraid of the narrative of having a first-round pick injured again. And that's why they didn't sit him for two weeks to start the season. It's the thing that I've been saying this whole time. Like, I believe that the organization... You know, I, I think Fultz is probably a tough kid, and he wanted to play through pain. But I think the organization was kind of hell-bent on getting him back in there because they didn't want the narrative to take over their season. They they were feeling the positivity of having all these sellouts, of having all these season tickets sold, and they didn't want it to get derailed by that narrative. Like, I can understand it to some extent, but, like, this thing is just too weird for it to, to be true as it's been reported. I'm going to be a skeptic. Uh- no, I, that's exactly what I was thinking. And the thing is, too, is when you have somebody like Simmons and Embiid, that will be the story every night. You know, like Simmons' ability to play can take over the storyline because that's how freaking special he is. But this whole Folds thing, something is up. Someone's not telling the truth. And as someone who recently hurt themselves in the gym... I could see how lifting a barbell over your head incorrectly could mess up your shoulder. What did you do? It, Nothing. Right. Just no. I just avoid, avoid no. your uh, your contract. 
Like Rob no, was just working out, and then, and then a few days later, being like, "Why? Why can I not turn my neck at all?" Uh-oh. Um, so I know that we, you need to get ready to do your big presentation. Um, Eagles 49ers. Do you think there's any chance this is a trap game? Yeah, I said that earlier this week. I think I asked you. Um, I don't know. Like, there's, there's like now part of me that's drinking the Kool Aid so much on Carson that I think there's no way he lets it happen. But if they don't have Michael Kendricks and they obviously are missing Hicks for the rest of the season, like, I do think their linebacking core, you know, has has a to be a glaring weakness at this point. Yeah. Um, I do have a question for you. Somebody had brought this up, and I, I don't think it's necessarily a good idea, and I don't know how it would work. Somebody had said if Darby comes back, and even if Sidney Jones comes back at the end of the year, but especially Darby, and knowing how well the young corners have played, would you ever consider, or could he even, could Jenkins move to an outside linebacker spot? Could you go totally undersized there and make it work? Could Jenkins play a linebacker is what you're asking? Yeah. Like, could you well, just on a defense? Jenkins has already played it. slot corner, outside corner, free safety, strong safety. There's a lot of teams in the NFL that employ a safety at linebacker situation. Uh, the Rams play Mark Barron a lot at middle linebacker. Uh, the Cardinals under Todd Bowles when he was there. That's how Deion Buchanan was used, was as a middle linebacker. Um I absolutely think he's capable of it. I think the problem, though, is is you're you're putting him in a situation to get destroyed in the run game, where it's great if you know running backs are running out of the backfield and he's chasing them, but if he has to face centers or guards at the next level and he's getting beaten up like that, you are kind of risking it long term, and you're also risking a main point of attack not being that stout. Um, but I also think that Jim Schwartz is creative enough to create some looks to confuse people and put him in that position with that responsibility. And I do think it'll throw off some quarterbacks. I just think, like, against the Cowboys, that would scare me. I would rather have a Najee Good, a Michael Kendricks. I'd rather have, and this is crazy, I'd rather have a Joe Walker just to face the offensive lineman, you know? That's fair. Um, but at the same point... I look at this Niners game, and I don't see the Eagles team that we've been watching losing this. Um, But to all those good Eagles teams in the past, you know, there were those games where they would let the other team hang around. And, you know, I'd love to see a blowout. You know, the... This Eagles team, we'd love to see a game they're supposed to win, and they blow them out. We've seen the the team, like the Arizona game was a wonderful surprise. Um, I did my part, Russ, and I picked the Niners with the points. As the mush, as you saw, I picked the Dolphins to win last night, and the Ravens won 40 to nothing. I am the greatest force. Wait, what was that score? I didn't... 40 to nothing. Who won? Baltimore. After Flacco got hit by Kiko Alonso, who we brought up, I think, on Wednesday. Yes. What were your thoughts on that hit, by the way? For those who Uh, didn't see it, Joe Flacco runs uh, off the right side, picks up, I think, a first down, right? About 10 yards. Does a late slide. as he's sliding down. Yeah. 
as he slides down, Kiko Alonso comes in, drops the shoulder, readjusts to Flacco, Flacco going down. Died. Yeah, the Pre- helmet pops much. off. And then Ryan Mallett had to come in, and Baltimore still won 40 to nothing. That's incredible. Yeah. Who knows? Man, the NFL is a wild, wild beast. And Thursday night is a really hard game to evaluate because it's three days. You don't. There's not a lot of coaching. Um, there's not a lot of coaching. It's just kind of go out there and play. Um, but, man, I did my part, Russ. I picked the 49ers to give the Eagles the correct juju. I appreciate I'm not, that. I'm not, yeah, I'm not betting on I'll take the L in the standings for an Eagles to actually get the win. But All right. um, I don't know. I think the Niners can be dangerous because only from this, the Cowboys game is a little deceiving. Uh, Cowboys, after they score a touchdown, they're up 7-0. The 49ers fumble the kickoff on the next possession, giving the Cowboys the ball inside the 20. Um, and then there's a few, the, the strip fumble... The 49ers are better than their record indicates, but the Eagles should win this game convincingly. But I don't know. You can't really get into a – you can't really break down a game in which a team is supposed to win by 13 and it's the biggest spread of the day and one team hasn't won before. You know what I mean? The the storyline is will the Eagles shit their pants or will they blow them out? And I think it's more likely to – to be a 14-point win. Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to watch the linebacking core and to watch Holly Poli Volley Vitae. Ah, oh, there it is. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, if nothing else, it will be a, um, it'll be a good way to kind of gauge where we, where we are personnel-wise going forward. Especially yeah, and, the you linebacking know, core. Like, it's good that they're not going up against Denver this week. Yeah, well, I will they're not say going this against th- Dallas this week. At the same thing, though, Russ... The Kyle Shanahan running offense is a side-to-side zone running scheme, which puts a lot of pressure on D linemen and linebackers to maintain gap integrity. So we are going to see these linebackers on the move because the problem is, is if our middle linebacker, what, what Kyle Shanahan does really well, and he's done this well all year, is negate your strength, especially if it's a defensive lineman, by... Like, if Fletcher Cox is on the inside, Kyle will make sure he stays on the inside and then runs away to create space, which means it's going to be all on the linebacking core. So this could be a thing where if the middle linebacker isn't running with the play correctly, that Carlos Hyde can turn up, hit the gap, and find a hole. So that's why it will be very interesting. But I like to look at these games as we talked. We started talking about flyers' intent, and the the referee intent to call a penalty. I look at this as what are the coaches' intentions to fix these problems? What was their intention to fix Jason Peters? What was their intention to fix a linebacker? What is the split when it comes to snap count? Who do they put in there? What is the scheme? What is the philosophy? This is our first look at them fixing the problem and I want to see what they want to do and then I'll adjust my belief system off of that that's a lot to look forward to right so you gotta go yeah I think it's time man Kyle uh I feel bad for him man I think I think wait, this, wait, so he's this dying sick, yeah like I don't know I this sickness that he has I think has just wrecked him beyond uh beyond reproach it's been over a week now 
So number one, I think Kyle needs to go back to vegan. Because uh, I bet you he's not been. Uh, number two, he needs to get out of the house and and get some sunlight. Because it Good sounds like he's on the couch. Yeah, you know what? It's hard, too, when you're sick. The last thing you want to do is go outside, but it might not be a bad idea today. And number three is drink a lot of water. So hopefully by Monday, the or yeah, maybe by Monday, the Phillies will have a new manager named Joe Girardi. The Flyers, That's who you want. You want Girardi. Yeah, I think I do. Unless Wathan is like really this mind-bogglingly incredible manager, then yeah. The, I, you know I, what? I, let me let me rephrase this though. The only reason that I wouldn't want Girardi is if I if I heard from agents, like if I really was going to go all in on Bryce Harper, and right, I and I heard about free and agents. I heard that free agents do not want to play for Joe Girardi and they'd rather play for a player's manager in Wathan, then then that's the only reason that I don't write the check right now. I agree because for me it is we're almost at the free agent signing section of the franchise turnaround, and if. Bryce Harper goes, oh, Girardi. Yeah, I know Girardi. Or who is this guy? Let me check him out on Wikipedia. That could be a big difference. Yep. I agree. And look, we already did it with uh, Hackstall. The just trust us. He's really good with young people. Um, I don't know. I like when the Phillies have a manager that I know. That's fair. That's just me. So hopefully some things uh, go well, and hopefully the Sixers don't blow another late game. I'm, what do you got planned for this weekend? Uh, this weekend is alumni. Uh, it's homecoming at Westchester. So we going back oh, to man, my... Oh, man, you're getting shit-faced. No, I'm, uh, <laughs> here's the part where we can all laugh at me. I'm doing the alumni band. Pull what does that mean? The alumni band. Alumni marching band. Yeah, man. What I'm are gonna, you playing? Got my tenor sax ready to go. Man, you're going to go out there and just bring the noise. I am. Literally. You better... Bring out that cork grease, because I'm gonna rock out with my sacks out. Is uh, are your are your children gonna watch you? Uh, they're gonna go to their grandparents because the last time we took our two year old to homecoming, too, it was a disaster. Too young, yeah, they're, they're too young to introduce just, them to sacks. Yeah, they're they're too young to be introduced to uh, insane drunk college people. And, oh wait, and what they're, happened? And they're, and they're also drunk uh, college parents. What happened the first time? It was just kind of a, a mess. Like, Westchester's great. It's just the parking lot. When we were walking back to the car, there were very belligerent people who, like, wanted to take their picture with our, at that time, one-year-old. And <laughs> I'm not handing my child to a stranger with face paint who, like, reeks of whiskey. Oh, shit, baby. Yeah, you know what would be it. dope for but the you know, gram? You know what the worst part is? What is a it, shot in my right hand and like, this baby in the left. But, like, the worst part was, though, it wasn't like it was a 25-year-old. It was, like, a 52-year-old, you know, mom named Brenda or something. Who oh shit! I, my yeah. kids are at college. Come I remember here, back baby. when this place was called Westchester Teachers College. Anyway, that's what I'm doing this weekend. You got anything fun planned? Uh, yeah, I'm going to a party Saturday with my girlfriend. I'm meeting more of her friends. That's the stage of my life that I'm in. I'm in the friend meeting stage, uh, which you is where you just to, uh, you, you just solidify up... your relationship by meeting more people. They have evidence now that you exist. Oh boy. You know what I mean? It's good stuff. Man, that uh, that'll be. And then I have to work. And then I work on Sunday. Well, maybe you'll have some big news for us next week. I'm just kidding. But maybe we will have some big news for the people next week. 
That'll be fun. Oh, yeah, that, that you're pregnant again? No, not, no, please, for the love of God, no. No, just no. Well, I'm sure as hell not going to be pregnant. Kyle? Yep, I don't know where Kyle is. Um, all right, well, Russ, I bid you adieu. All right. To a, to a wonderful experience and to you getting high grades. Thanks, man. Have a good weekend. Um, yeah, you too.